You want me to start? All right. Hey, guys. Um, it's an honor to be here this morning. You know, this is my first time ever in Albuquerque. And uh, it is beautiful. And it's not just the scenery, but um, it's every single person that is here in this church. Everyone that I've met in the last 36 hours or however long we've been here, you all are beautiful, like so beautiful. And the presence of Jesus and worship today was so beautiful and last night. And uh, I was really struck. What I kept thinking, picturing while we're worshiping were the women in the Bible that anointed Jesus and they worshiped Jesus. Um, his feet, one, one count is his head, but how it was a sacrifice of worship. And when I was in worship, all I could think about was how beautiful it is when we come together as one, unified, like unified. There was such a presence of unif unification and oneness in worship today. And it's just beautiful that all differences are put aside and we're here as one, united to worship Jesus. And I just felt it and I'm still like, feeling the presence of God. So thank you for this wonderful experience. I don't have children with me. I'm able to enter in and it is yeah. a blessing. Yeah. It is such a blessing to be here. So That's thank true. you guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. Oh, and Love. this is my husband, Paul Martini. Hey. Nice to meet you. Awesome. You can keep it. Thanks, babe. My wife's amazing. She is a saint. I am just so blessed that God brought her in my life. She sounds a little funny because she's from the other side of the world. She, um, she was uh, born in Australia, she grew up in New Zealand, and she lived in Australia for about 10 years before we met, and uh, we were just so blessed uh, to be together. We just love um, doing life together, and I'm just so thankful you guys have uh, opened your church to us and hosting us, and uh, Pastor Gail and Pastor Allen, thank you so much for being so kind to us. Uh, what time do I land, like one o'clock? Is that what you said? Yes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, I, I, let, let's, get, let's get to it. Uh, Holy Spirit, we just thank you for what you're about to do this morning. God, you just have your way. Do whatever you want. Lord, every preconceived idea about what's supposed to happen, I just pray that you would just break that box and we would just follow what you wanna do. God, may every one of us, including myself, get out of the way and let you do what you wanna do. And we love you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, just thinking about uh, what I'd like to share today, I just been talking it through with my wife, and I wanted to talk about something that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, I wanted to share a little bit about my journey and what I, I feel the Lord is really wanting to emphasize, especially in this season. There's something that I think that the church has that is so often overlooked and undervalued that it stifles the advancement of the kingdom of heaven. It stifles the advancement of God in our life. And it's actually something that is so simple and it's something that is so easy to overlook. And that's the peace of God. I believe the peace of God is one of the most powerful weapons and things in the kingdom of heaven. I think the enemy understands this. I think the enemy 
understands that the peace of God is so powerful and the peace of God advances the kingdom of God, which I'll explain in scripture, that he actually doesn't want any of us to really truly have it. He actually would rather have a different understanding of what peace is. He would rather us subscribe to the peace of the world and what peace means in the world. But you have to understand that the peace of the world is absolutely different than the peace of God. So actually, the, the enemy who is a great strategist is not actually looking to steal your anointing, to go after your gifting, to burn down every church in America. He's just making sure the people inside don't have peace. Because if you do not have the peace of God, it is actually impossible to advance the kingdom of God. See, the world's understanding of peace, which is what the understanding of peace I grew up with, was the absence of conflict. It's literally it. And I can't understand. I, I, I always knew growing up that there was always conflict. I mean, in, in my home, I grew up in an Italian-American home, and uh, many of your homes might be very similar, but we're very loud. I mean, just even inside, we just, I remember when my wife and I first uh, got together and I brought her over to my parents' house and we had this big family dinner and, um, and we, you know, we're all screaming at each other. We're not even angry at one another, but you see, in, in that type of household, and maybe yours is similar, you just talk over one another and so you gotta keep getting louder and louder and louder and before you know it, you're yelling at each other. I look over at my wife and she's like, from the Commonwealth, you know, she's like shaking. I'm like, it's okay, honey. <laughs> so we're not angry at each other, it's just how we talk. But I grew up, my father, he owned a successful business in the city of Philadelphia. And then uh, he moved out to the upper uh, middle class suburbs, built a big home up there, and his business tanked. He, he struggled with his own depression and some things. And, and, uh, and, I, could, and I, I remember he had trouble paying the, the bills. He was juggling bills. And, and I remember where uh, a few times a year, sometimes the electricity would be turned off for a day and he'd have to you know, get that sorted or going over to the faucet and the water didn't come on. I know what that tension is like. I know what that's like. And we grew up in a Christian culture. We grew up and you would hear, peace to you, peace unto you. And I would always be like, when's that really ever happening? <laughs> My mom, she's a wonderful intercessor. She's amazing. The only reason I'm here is because in my darkest times, she would be praying at four or five in the morning by her bedside. But back then, she was a great warrior. She'd worry about anything you could worry about. And if you didn't know what to worry about, she'd tell you. <laughs> she'd be like, you're not worrying about that? I'd worry about that if I were you. Like, what, really? <laughs> like, it'd do any good. See, I don't even believe that people really understand that peace is even available to us. I think subconsciously, I mean, we write it on all of our tombstones, rest in peace. You don't get it till you're dead. It's like, I don't want peace yet. Do you want peace? No, not yet. I get it. I get it later, right? I get it later. But that's not the peace of God. See, the peace of God is not the absence of conflict. It actually overcomes and transcends the conflict. And we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna go through some scriptures. I'm gonna go a little quicker than I usually do because of time, and I wanna honor your time. But I, I encourage you to rewatch this message or even write them down and look and make sure I'm telling the truth. Is that all right? One of the most popular ones is Philippians 4, 7. And I love this verse. I've seen this verse 
everywhere. We'll read it together. It says this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I've, I've read this verse, seen it on, written on walls, seen it in, on, on plaques. I've seen it on bookmarkers. But until I actually went through my own journey in this area, I didn't realize what the Apostle Paul was really saying. According to the Apostle Paul, what guards your heart and mind? The peace of God. Well, if that's actually true, if that's actually the case, what's exposed when you don't have the peace of God? Your heart and your mind. Your heart and mind is totally vulnerable to the pressures of the world and the attacks of the enemy when you don't have the peace of God. You see, the peace of God is not fragile, it's powerful, it actually guards you. Galatians 5.22, it talks about peace as a fruit. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, self-control. And I love this verse. I remember when I was going through my journey with the Lord, I was meditating on this verse. I'm like, God, give me insight. What are you saying? And he said, Neil, Paul, you're like a fruit basket. And I said, God, clarify. Because <laughs> in our culture, if someone calls you a fruit basket, it means you're crazy. And all of us are a little bit. I said, what do you mean, God? He said, Paul, the fruit of the Spirit is not just for you, but it's for others. What happens when fruit does not get picked from a tree? It rots. It gets too big on its own. It gets too big and falls on the ground and rots. He said, Paul, the fruit of your life is for others. And I want to tell you today that you can go to a place of hopelessness, a place of despair, a hospital room, and you can lay your hands on the person next to you, and you can transfer the peace of God by the power of God or joy or love. I love the example, I've heard it before, you know, if you take an orange and you squeeze it into a glass and apple juice comes out, wouldn't you find that odd? Wouldn't you be like, something's wrong there. I'm not, I'm not drinking that. There was one guy in New York, he's like, yeah, that means there's too much GMOs. I was like, okay, buddy, sit down, sit down. But it's true, if, if I squeeze an orange into a glass and apple juice came out, I'd be, that, that would be odd. But the reality is, Whatever's inside of us is gonna come out of us. And when the pressures of the world comes as Christians and the attack of the enemy comes upon us and worry, fear, anxiety, stress come out of us, we should all find that odd. See, the reality of the kingdom when we walk in its fullness is that when we have the peace of God, when we have the joy of the Lord, the more the attacks of the enemy come, the more the pressures of the world come upon us, the more peace should come out of us. Or joy, or love. Let's keep going. Isaiah 9, 6, this prophesies of Jesus. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. My favorite verse, Romans 16, 20, says this, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your own feet. Not the God of power, although he's all powerful. Not the God of love, although he embodies love, he is love. But who actually crushes Satan under your own feet? the God of peace. Why? Because his peace is powerful. I love the 
evolution of words. I love words. I love how they come into play. I like different verbiage. I don't even know if that's a word, but I've just made it. It is? Oh, there you go. Thanks, thanks. But words change over time. Actually, a word in its etymology, when it started out, will often, how society changes it, will end up being a different meaning. Like in New England, it's kind of crazy, but they call something good wicked. They're like, that's wicked good. I'm like, do you know what wicked really means? It's kind of weird. This is my favorite one. Do you know the word awful when it was made, when it's etymology, meant this, to inspire unto all. Like I could say, Alan, that shirt, it's awful. It's just awful. No, I'm just kidding. But now it means absolutely opposite. It means I don't like it. It's horrible. Well, peace, the word shalom in the Hebrew context it has evolved to become one of the most brilliant full words, meaning nothing missing, nothing broken, total wholeness, if I could surmise it simply. It's a wonderful word, and not only does the Bible speak of the shalom of God, but there's hundreds of books of Hebrew shalom. But if you understand the etymology of the ancient Hebrew for the word shalom, it blew my mind. See, in Hebrew language, it's not just phonetical, it's actually pictorial. Every letter is actually a picture. And there's four letters for the word shalom in Hebrew. And you can look this up yourself in ancient Hebrew, it's not a, it's not a secret. But the first letter in the Hebrew letter of shalom is like a big, it looks like jagged teeth, it looks like a jagged W, and it means to destroy. The second letter is a shepherd's hook, and it means authority. The third letter is an attaching letter, and it literally means it's a nail. It looks like a nail, it means to attach. And the fourth letter is a bunch of waves, and it means chaos. And when you said shalom in the ancient Hebrew, you were literally saying to destroy the authority attached to chaos. Why? because his peace is powerful. Like when you pray peace for somebody, you're not asking that they would accept their situation. You're not asking that they would just be still. What you're literally asking is that God would destroy the authority attached to chaos in their life. Because his peace is powerful. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If us as Christians are going after other things and not really believing or truly understanding that we could ever really have true peace in this world, you're literally missing out on a third of the kingdom of heaven in the Holy Spirit. This is not something that is peripheral to the gospel. This is central to the gospel message. You have the God of peace who gives us the Prince of Peace who brings us the gospel of peace. Come on. It's essential. 
I love this story of Mark 4:35 through verse 40. It's a famous story of Jesus going, uh, he's telling his disciples we're gonna go to the other side. They get in a bunch of bo uh, boats and they go to the other side. And, um, and, and, and I'm just gonna read it quickly to you so we can get some context, all right? Don't fall asleep on me, okay? And if you see your neighbor falling asleep, you're allowed to cast out the spirit of slumber. Just, I'm just joking, by the way. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he arose and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, whenever I see Jesus interacting with the disciples in my Bible reading, I always want to slow down my reading. I always wanna see, Jesus, what are you actually saying? What are you actually doing here? Because remember, Jesus is showing the disciples how to live on earth. That's what you do when you disciple, right? So I'm like, okay, what's the point of this story? And I don't know about you, but I always feel like Jesus is hard on these guys. I mean, I would have responded the same way. I would understand how to, I mean, look, I, 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 there was three modes of transportation back then. There was walking and running, donkey and horse, and going on a boat. It might not be common nowadays, and maybe not in this area, but where they lived and back at that time, going on a boat wasn't just like a, uh, it was a common thing. It wasn't an uncommon thing for public transport. Look, I, I fly, uh, before I started pastoring, I flew about 150,000 to 200,000 miles every year with Dr. Randy Clark because he's a wonderful, anointed man of God that isn't normal. <laughs> and he took me along. Right away, you find out that flying, after your third flight, you realize this is just a bus with wings. There's nothing glorious or glamorous about this at all. It's a lot of wasted time at airports. They treat you like cattle. They don't give you much anymore. It's like, can I have water? You want water? Oh, fine. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's funny. But I, I understand that uh, flying is actually one of the safest modes of transportation we have today. Millions and millions and millions of flights fly every day, and we rarely hear of anything going down on, in a passenger airplane. I know there's been a few accidents, but statistically, you actually are statistically more dangerous to walk on a crosswalk, in, in a crosswalk, in your car, driving in your car, uh, going on a bicycle than flying in an airplane. It's the safest place to be in terms of mode of transportation. I mean, oftentimes when a, uh, an airplane's taking off, there'll be some turbulence, which is just a difference in air pressure. Sometimes going through a, a cloud, you'll get that turbulence, maybe a storm or coming down. And, and planes are actually made to take tons of turbulence. They never really crash because of turbulence. And I would consider myself like a, a professional flyer. <laughs> I feel like I could just go through you know, the airport and everything with my eyes closed because I've done it so much. But I can always tell when someone sitting next to me is new at flying. Because oftentimes when we're going up in the air, maybe when we're going through a cloud or a storm, there's some shaking going on, all of a sudden that hand reaches up by the 
armrests and you see the whites in their knuckles are grabbing it so hard and they're grimacing their face and, and I look over and I go, oh, isn't that cute? So silly. You know, they must be amateur flyers. I'll tell you, they're probably not professional like me. But when I see the flight attendant or the stewardess get nervous, if I see them walking around going, everyone, everyone, buckle your seatbelts, buckle your seatbelts, get out of the bathroom, get out of the bathroom, well, then I get scared. Then I'm commanding angels under the wings. I'm speaking in my prayer language. I got my Bible out. I'm like, this is it. (laughs) Preaching my last salvation message. Why? Because they're experts. They know what it's like to be in a situation that's dangerous for planes. And listen, folks, many of these disciples were fishermen, expert boatsmen. They knew what it was like to be in a storm that boats do not survive. And there was a point in this story where the fear in front of them actually got inside them. And the crazy thing about fear is that the only way to you, for, for you to feel better when you have fear is to actually make sure the person next to you has just as much fear as you. It's the only way. It's like, did you see what's happening? The world is ending. Did you see? And the news media understands this concept, and so they've played upon this. Obviously, this year has been special, but I mean, even since the creation of news media, they've understood this concept. And and again, I don't know how exactly it played out, but there was a place where finally everyone was full of fear, and they were doing their job, and they're, they're waking Jesus up, saying, Jesus, Jesus, this is a fearful moment. This is a literal time you should be afraid. And Jesus, in the same boat, in the same storm, doesn't accept the fear that's in front of him. Instead, he releases the peace that's inside him and it overcomes the storm. Now, many people will take this exact context and say, this proves that the peace of God will carry you through the storm. And I believe that, absolutely. Is biblical context for that. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me, your hand, your staff, they comfort me. There'll be times where the peace of God sustains you through a literal storm in your life. I just don't think that's what Jesus' point was in this message. Why? Because he would have discipled it that way. Maybe you would have woke up and said, okay, guys, let's, uh, let's sing psalms and hold hands until we get to the other side. Let's meditate on scripture, on Torah. I don't know, until we get to the other side. He didn't do that. Now, this is just my opinion. The pastors can fix this later, but this is just my opinion. If you read the beginning of that story again, it says this. Jesus declared, we are going to the other side. And whenever a real storm challenges the prophetic destiny over your life, you have every right to step up to it and allow his peace to overcome it. Why? Because his peace is powerful. I remember my friend at Global Awakening, she had this vision from the Lord to buy a house in the worst place of Harrisburg. This place was so dangerous, one of the top dangerous places in the, in the, in the country. I mean, it's just but per, crime per capita. Just to give you some context here, it was during the recession And the city was the first capital city in the United States that declared bankruptcy. They were already over leveraged, recession hit, poverty became really high, the value of life started to get real low. They had to place men 
uh, police officers on the corners of the walk to school because there were literal 20 to 30 year old men robbing children of lunch money. Just to give you some context here, we had up to three to five, I can't remember if it was three or five, I had to do the research when, but people were taking taxi cabs from point A to point B and just shooting the cabbie instead of paying the fare. We would do a lot of ministry and we wouldn't bring anything with us, but we had students that would get jaws broken, cheekbones broken, beaten up and taken to the hospital because they were just evangelizing in the city. My friend told me, she's like, I wanna buy a house. These, these houses are between ten dollars to $12,000. Most of your cars are worth more than that. She went to buy this house in this part of the city. I said, that's not a good idea. But she felt it was a call of God. And I wouldn't tell anyone to do it unless you felt God called you to do it. She said, I wanna help the women in the city. I wanna help the children in the city. And even the men who, who pass out drunk on my stoop, which she did, she got them into rehab. She would minister to them. I said, well, please get, get strong Christian men to move in next door. You know, get an, get an alarm system, put bars on the windows, do something, protect yourself, get a guard dog. She said, Paul, I'm not gonna move in there and just lock myself off. She got a kitten. I said, that's not gonna help you at all. <laughs> you can do it's a kitten. Kittens don't care. Some other young ladies actually caught the vision. They decided to move in with her. And, they, and she would call me. She'd say, yep, they broke into the house while I was gone at work. They actually took all the copper pipes out of my uh, you know, uh, uh, house. And uh, I guess they, they sell the copper and then buy drugs with it. And, and I said, well, now you're gonna, you're gonna buy, uh, put bars on the windows and stuff? She goes, no, I'm gonna replace the pipes. I mean, that's radical. Mary, one of the girls who was staying at her house who had a vision for the city, it's midday, it's in the afternoon, it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon. She's walking from her house to the corner convenience store. While she's walking to the convenience store, a man jumps out of the alleyway. He's holding a knife to her neck and he says, if you move or scream, I'm gonna kill you. Now, I have a lot of pastoral unctions in me. I would have told Mary, Mary, whatever you had to do to get out of that situation, I would understand. Let's get you healed, let's get you whole. To be a victim of that kind of trauma is horrible. And I would never expect anyone to behave any differently than to try to get out of the situation. But Mary looked at that man who's holding a knife to her neck who really embodies fear. And she said, can I tell you about Jesus? And him holding the knife to her neck did the only thing I believe fear can do in the real presence of the peace of God. He started running the other way. <laughs> And Mary starts chasing the man with the knife. She's like, come here, get back here. It's radical. You know, John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, he said it best. He said, whenever ministering, always stand on the rug of peace and never get off of it. I believe this. I believe peace is the conduit that the power of God loves to flow through. When you carry his peace, his power flows easily. And he doesn't change. I, I say, I'm like an extension cord from heaven to earth. It's not me healing your body. It's God healing you, it's God touching you. But sometimes I have a burnt fuse on my end. Sometimes I've accepted the fear in front of me instead of releasing the peace that he's given me. I didn't understand or value his peace all the time. 
John 14, 27, Jesus is with the disciples. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I love this section of scripture because Jesus is literally talking about a transference of anointing from his life to their life. He's literally saying, the world's peace that's gonna fade away. But the peace I give you, your heart will not need to be troubled. You do not need to be afraid. He's, gonna, he's told all the disciples to disciple nations. All of them are gonna be martyred except for one. And before he leaves them, what does he impart to them? Peace. He even tells them how to take cities. He says, go two by two and go to and find the house of peace. And may your peace rest on that house. And if they don't receive you, may it come back to you. I remember reading the Apostle Paul being in children's church and they would get a teenager and stand in front of the little children and they would have the armor of God. How many know the plastic spray painted silver and gold armor of God I'm talking about? <laughs> and they would have all these cool illustrations. They'd be like, this is the helmet of salvation and they put it on the teenager and they'd have this cool illustration. They'd be, this is the, the uh, breastplate of righteousness. This is the sword of the spirit. This is the shield of faith, this is the belt of truth, and then they would like get to the shoes and they'd be like, and you'll have peace. They're like, it's like they didn't know what to say about it. I used to think the Apostle Paul just ran out of body parts. He was like, eh, let's put the peace on the feet. <laughs> but the reality is it doesn't matter how well you hold your shield or wave your sword. If you don't have his peace, you're not going anywhere. It's not a coincidence that peace are on the feet. It's not just a requirement. It's what you need. It's what you need. Because his peace is powerful and he wants you to have it, just like he wanted every disciple of his to have it. I know what it's like not to have peace. I could speak for two hours on this topic, two more. But I know what it's like not to have peace. My wife and I have been happily married for almost eight years now, and I love it. We're, we're, it's such a great redemption in my life. We have four amazing children, and I can't imagine a life any different. But when I was younger, 19 years old, living for myself, I was lost. I didn't know what I didn't know. I have two more kids, twins. They're 16 and a half years old. My son's name's Giovanni. My daughter's name's Juliana. Good Irish names. <laughs> Just kidding. They have wonderful kids. They love Jesus. They're amazing. And I don't want you to hear this story to actually think negative of my ex because I was married at 19 years old and, and we were lost. And, you know, when, you don't, when you're lost, you don't know you're lost. And I know why the devil hates divorce, because nobody wins, even if they think they've won. The mom doesn't win, the dad doesn't win, the, the kids don't win. And the devil, when he sees a crack, he tries to make the biggest chasm he can out of that crack. And I was not a perfect husband by any means. I didn't physically or verbally abuse her, but I was not a perfect husband, living for myself. And the enemy saw that crack. 
And I remember one time coming home, finding another man's pillow on my bed. My twins were little babies. I don't know why he brought his own pillow, but he either purposely left it there or forgot it there like a man's pillow. She sat me on the bed. She said, don't you understand? I don't love you anymore. I don't want to be with you. And that crushed me. I remember running into the world as hard as I could, even more. I got to see my kids every day to hardly at all as a horrible custody battle ensued. I, uh, I remember having a, I, I never became an alcoholic, but I would drink to numb the pain. Whenever I could, I still worked, I started to provide, but I, I drank to numb the pain and I had a great job. And I remember one night at the apartment I was renting, a house I was renting, my friend couldn't, no, no one could drink with me and I was in the basement of this house, drinking of my rental, drinking wine directly from the bottle. Now listen, if you ever see someone who doesn't have the decency to pour it in a glass, help them out. They're going through it, going through something. I remember feeling like I was at the bottom of my life and I was saying, God help me. And I, I felt this presence come. I didn't understand what it was at, the point, at that moment, but I put that bottle down and I walk up the steps to my bedroom and I said, God, I know that, this, that you'll never use me because I just felt like I had a big D on my chest. I said, but maybe I could just be a good person. I end up moving back in with my adult Italian parents, which is an amazing experience. <laughs> and it was nice. My mom, she's awesome. And uh, I remember right before Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I, I love Christmas. I love the celebration of our Savior's birth but I kind of survived Christmas because the, the gift giving stresses me out. I'm always afraid I'm gonna forget somebody and, and all that stuff. But Thanksgiving, nobody expects anything from you. And everyone comes over mom and dad's house. You eat as much food as you can. You go into the other room, you watch football, you pass out, you wake up, you have dessert. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like every nation needs to celebrate Thanksgiving. And so we, I, I, I've always, it was my favorite holiday. And so uh, I was at my parents' house the Monday before Thanksgiving. We had our first arbitration, and I, and and my, you know, I was supposed to have my lawyer, and I thought we'd get equal custody. And because of the things that were said that the state had to verify that weren't true, I ended up not getting any custody at that point. I was crushed. Thursday comes around. It's Thanksgiving. My brothers and sister and their spouses come over. We have an early dinner. Uh, they go over to their spouse's family's houses for dessert. My parents are older. They went on off to bed, and there I am all alone on my favorite holiday. And I remember the enemy whispering in my ear that lie that night. Don't you, ever under don't you understand? Nothing will ever change in your life. Essentially, you'll never have peace. I remember believing that lie, and I remember going to the corner uh, bar, right around the corner, a storefront bar with all dark windows. There's nobody there except an older Caucasian man, older African-American man. I don't pay them any attention. I go to the other end of the bar. I do a shot and a pint of beer right away. I do another pint of beer and I look behind me. I see a cigarette vending machine. I'm like, I'm going all the way tonight. I get out a pack of cigarettes. I go to outside and I'm smoking my cigarette, leaning on the glass windows, wallowing in my sorrows, believing the lie that nothing will ever change in my life, that I'll never have peace. This older African-American man, you know what's crazy is that everything can be closed on Thanksgiving, but bars and Christmas, but bars are open, at least in my state. 
and Target, but back then it was just, back then it was just bars. The older African-American man, he comes out and he's just talking on his phone and I'm not paying him any attention because I'm from the city, I'm from Philly. And when you're from the city, you actually just don't talk to people you don't know. Now that I've traveled out west and down south, everyone's so nice, they're like, hi, my name's Joe, what's your name? I'm buying bread today, what are you doing? I'm like, what, who are you? Do I know you? It's just culture, you know, I'm learning. But you don't pay attention to people you don't know. And, I, and the, the man gets off his phone and he starts walking towards the door and he stops and he looks at me and he says, are you gonna make it? I said, what? He said, you heard me. Are you gonna make it? I said, uh, yeah. He said, how do you know? And I don't know why I said this, but it was like I was time transferred, time teleported back to Children's church with the only three correct answers are Jesus, the Bible, and prayer, no matter the question. And out of my mouth goes, because Jesus? He said, Jesus, why'd you say Jesus? I said, because I'm a Christian. He just ignored me. He said, what's your name? I said, my name's Paul. He said, wow. He said, you know, Paul in the Bible did great things for God. He said, one day, Paul, you're gonna do great things for God. And he walked away. And I threw my cigarette down and I went in my car and I cried my eyes out because at that moment, I understood what the psalmist meant when he said, even when I make my bed in hell, you are with me. And it was that moment that changed the trajectory of my life where I learned a journey with his peace that overcame the storms that challenged the destinies over my life or carried me through. His peace is available for you right now It could come sovereignly upon you. You don't have to go anywhere. And the sovereign presence of God imparts his peace to you. Or it can happen biblically through the laying on of hands. But if you're willing, he'll give it to you. If you're saying, man, there's parts of my life that don't have this right now. It's not a coincidence you're here. Why don't you stand? I wanna pray for you. I don't know what time we normally close. I'm assuming around now. Maybe not. I want to pray for you. And as I pray for you, I feel the presence of the Lord. Do you guys feel the presence of God here? I just want you to let the Lord do what you want to do, do what he wants to do. I'm not trying to, I don't don't want you to do anything that I want you to do. I just want you to receive. I want you to close your eyes. If you want to hold out your hands, I've seen God do great things when people hold out their hands, but you don't have to. And I wanna pray for you. God, I just thank you that you're the God of peace. I thank you that this world doesn't have an answer, but you do. I thank you that I can't physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually overcome my own storms, but you can Lord, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would impart your peace to us, not the weak peace that the world talks about, but the kind that remains rested upon us, that even in the middle of the chaos, we're at peace with you. Lord, I ask that you would destroy the authority attached to chaos over anyone's life right now. I come against every torment of the enemy I come against the spirit of worry, fear, stress, and doubt. In Jesus' name, I command it broken right now. I come against night terrors and restlessness. 
God, I, I ask that you would not brainwash anyone, but that you would heal any memories that are associated with trauma. That no longer those memories would trigger a traumatic attack. I break that right now in Jesus' name. I break the hook that brings them back into those moments now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I speak peace to their heart. I declare freedom and liberty over their lives. God, I ask that you would commission and equip our feet with the shoes of peace so that wherever we go, whatever house we're in, our peace will rest on that house. And if not, it would come back and rest on us. That Lord, wherever your peace is, that your power would flow. God, as we pray for one another, as we build up the body, as we're praying for those who are lost and maybe they're not feeling much, but they say, I feel peace. Lord, may we understand that that means power is behind it. And may we bless the peace that we see you sharing. So God, I bless everyone in this room. Right now I ask that every chain that has bound us in this past year would be broken. And we would now have a heavenly perspective in earthly problems. And that we can walk these out with grace and love and truth and peace. That we would be a wonder to the world. We would be a wonder to our neighbors. And we would be a wonder to even the angels. God, I pray that your presence would fall. Hallelujah.